It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah, baby. <laughs> this week, starring special guest stars Mr. Bobby Borg. And Mr. Michael Ames. <laughs> welcome, guys. Yeah, welcome. <laughs> I have to say, I've never, I've never been greeted by an art iCarly... Uh, uh, box. That's yeah, awesome. Well, now you have. All right. <laughs> Welcome, you weren't guys. kidding. No, I wasn't. <laughs> okay, so I say I need to bring my level down a little bit and then we get the chat room open. Say hello to everybody there. Hello, folks. How are you guys? So I'm excited. I've known both of these gentlemen forever. Um, I'm guessing, like, I, I don't know. 15 or more years, yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It could be that John Brahaney is the common thread maybe among us. I don't know. but uh, Entirely possible. Yeah. We're Good all old that old. Yeah. We miss him dearly. We do indeed. Talk about him or uh, speak about him often on the show. Anyway, uh, so Bobby uh, used to be the drummer in Warrant, but more importantly <laughs> is he is the king of all things DIY promotion and marketing, and he teaches at MI, and he still knows how to play, play drums. <laughs> and Michael is a publisher who uh, specializes in admin, and I want to start the show by having you explain what admin is, because a lot of people <laughs> think they need admin, but they're not really sure what it is. Gotcha. Well, um, you know, there's a reason why they call it the music business, right? So uh, in the publishing world, um, which for me is split two ways generally, admin and creative, you know, admin is the is the stuff that frankly can get really dry and boring, uh, but is also <laughs> direly important. Um, you know, as, as we talk about in the, the publishing section of the book, you know, Anyone who gets any piece of music uh, used anywhere needs to be registered with the Performing Rights Society. And a lot of folks, frankly, assume that, oh, as soon as I've become a member, and they also need to remember that they need to be a writer member and a publisher member. We may get into some of this as you we dive will. deeper. But um, you know, just becoming a member is only the first step. You actually have to register your songs, because if you don't register them, you won't get paid. They don't use telepathy. Um, exactly. And, and generally, anyone who uses music, whether that be anything on the performance side or a CD that gets released uh, that requires a thing called mechanical royalties, uh, anything that is a film or a TV or an ad use, these all that requires a synchronization license. So every th the business of music publishing really is the business of licensing. So every time you issue a license, that's administrative work. You may have to negotiate the license. Maybe it's an area where there is no negotiation, but you still have to issue it. Um, there's royalties that are paid on a schedule. You've got to police that because, shocker, not everyone pays when they're supposed to. Uh, you know, it, it's a mixture of a lot of different stuff, but it's it's the admin part is all about licensing. Register your claims everywhere you need to, issue the licenses, because if no license gets issued, you won't get paid. So if I were a songwriter and I didn't want to do a, a publishing deal, a creative publishing deal with, you know, BMG or Sony or even a music library, and I'm fully capable of pitching my own stuff, I could come to you and say, chase the money for me. Yes, absolutely. I mean, 95% of our clients are admin deals, where okay. they, the clients own everything, we look after it, where we're a little different, but this is off to your question, is that we go out creatively and try to 
generate income that doesn't already exist and we get a higher percentage when we do that. Oh, okay. Um, but, but, but yes, most of the things, I mean, getting that proverbial publishing deal isn't the only option. So, for instance, if you were to license the piece of music on this bad boy, um, if I were to contact... I don't even know who makes this thing, but SoundX, SoundX Kids, if I were the person who came up with that little piece of music, and I lived next door to the guy that owns that company, and he said, yeah, I'd love to put that piece of music on that thing, mm -hmm. um, you would be the person to make sure that I get paid for that. That's correct. Okay. So, now, Bobby's been on the show several times, many times before, and I didn't honestly know that you guys knew each other until Bobby said, hey, you know, I've got this book, and he sent it over. So I dutifully came in this weekend to prep for the show, Five Star Music make Makeover. Um, and I looked at the book, first of all, it's heavy. I mean, this thing's like a boat anchor, and it's thick. And and then I saw it's got five authors, Corrine Sheehan, Annika Paris, Eric Korn, Michael Ames, and Bobby Borg. And I thought, uh, this is one of those deals where they skim the surface, and everybody just does a little, yeah, and they're splitting the money on it. And then I started looking through it, and I went, they did not skim the surface. This book is so unbelievably comprehensive that I was, frankly, in shock. So hats off to you guys, because uh, as Michael said, he got here a little bit before the show, and he said, yeah, this allowed me to dip my toe in the publishing world without having to write a whole book. But you yeah, actually 20, did. We, we each did 20% of the book. <laughs> but you wrote a whole book. It's just contained in there with four other authors. It is dense. All of all the sections, yeah, we it, all worked really hard. It really is really, really good. And, I, I mean, I've known Bobby forever. And Bobby's thing is no musician should get screwed. Uh, and every musician should be, every musician who wants to be, uh, people that use the term DIY, he tells you how to do it, but you've got to get off your butt and, and do, do it. it. Yeah, that's yeah. important. Thing. And so, in your world, Bobby, let, let's talk about um, you hand all these great tools, and I'm going to get to lots of stuff from the book in a minute. But what is the best way for a musician to motivate him or herself after they get the tools that you give them or any other teacher gives them? Because I've seen a lot of musicians that think, "Hey, I'm doing my part. You know, I, I, I wrote the songs. You know, I, right. I play the guitar." <laughs> Um, how do you get them to get off their butt? Well, I think uh, today it's important, first and foremost, to let people realize that if they are going to sit in their room and they're going to look at themselves in the mirror and admire how awesome they look and how great they sound, um, you know, it's, it's likely that nothing will happen. I mean, you really have to, especially in this day and age, you have to attract the attention of those that can help you by first helping yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there's, I know that's a challenging thing because I did it. I mean, I was the person that, you know, practiced millions of hours a day and then said, okay, now am I just going to let all this practice go to waste and wait around for someone to come save me? Or am I going to put myself out there? So the motivating factor should really be nothing more than if you really want to do this and you really want to actually fulfill your vision, whatever that might be, you really have to take charge of your career and you have to get a certain amount of things going first and foremost. And you'll be really surprised at the number of people that then um, sort of take that energy and, and help you move forward. But you have to take that first step on your own unless you just believe in the miracle that you're going to win the lottery or get <laughs> struck by lightning and then, <laughs> and then uh, you know, what happened on its own. So hopefully that's motivating enough. 
you would think, you know, but I know plenty of musicians who get very fired up. Uh, they come to the road rally. They take one of your classes, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever the circumstance, and they have this temporary peak of motivation, and then it falls off. How do mm. they stay motivated? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, one of the things that demotivates people is that, um, you know, inactivity. In other words, they do things, and then they expect immediate results. So, I mean, I guess just looking at this realistically, to understand that every single day you should ask yourself when you go to sleep, did I move myself forward just a little bit? Or did I do something to move myself forward just a little bit? And if you did, then, you know, you have to celebrate that as you know, as, as small as that might sound, you have to realize that this is not a weekend warrior type of career where you like spend a couple of weekends handing out flyers and then all of a sudden something magically happens. You have to kind of, you know, I mean, you know, there are hobbyists and that's fine. But if you're really in this for, for real and you really want to do this, it doesn't take three years or four years. It could take 10 years. I mean, you know, doctors don't become doctors overnight. So why should you think that, you know, you just mm -hmm. learn how to play an instrument and you write a couple songs and then magically everything is going to work out well for you? I mean, you, 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 you really have to focus on that. It's I've got to tell you a great story. Uh, a couple months ago, uh, I went to Hollywood and met with a couple of successful taxi members. And one of the guys I remember very distinctly, he was wearing a green T-shirt that said, carries no cash at the road rally. I don't know, seven, eight years ago, probably. And he was in his early 20s. <clears throat> and he grew up in a family that didn't have much money. Um, and he flat out says the family was poor. And he wanted to be a rock star. And he got to the <laughs> road rally. All. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he got to the road rally and he said, you know what? Um, instrumental cues are, are going to be my thing. That's what I can do. And he learned how to do hip hop and EDM, whatever. And... Uh, so when I went to see him in Hollywood, uh, his other friend said to me, uh, or said to him, show him. And I went, show him what? And he goes, come on, show him. And the guy pulls out a phone, he holds, kind of reluctantly held up his phone, there's a Maserati on the phone. Oh, wow. And he said, if not for you and your company, I would not own that car. This has been a lifelong dream of mine. So in, I'm guessing around seven years, this kid went from hmm. realizing he wasn't going to be a rock star, or that wasn't his his fastest path to making money to doing instrumental cues and now he makes a hefty uh, six-figure income every year and it's growing every year and he just bought his first that's Maserati. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and boy, that's a guy who understands yeah. motivation. I mean, there's, yeah. there's millions of stories like that I have. When I was at Berkeley at this school, you know, a band that was rehearsing next to me used to rehearse so hard every single day. That band, a lot of people are big fans of this band, Dream Theater. You know, and I mean, they were just hauling their equipment, you know, gig after gig after gig, you know, and eventually, you know, several years after I graduated, I started to hear about them. I'm like, my God, that's that band from, <laughs> you know, way back, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, it takes time. You know? And it's, it doesn't happen by accident. No. No, I mean, the thing that's, that is kind of amazing to me, and you're touching on it with your story with this guy, is that I've known, I, I know lots of talented people, but... You honestly, as you're saying, you have to have the commitment. It can only come from within. And you really have to hone that skill because there are a lot of... Uh, when I first came out to L.A., I tried to pursue uh, film and TV composing. And there were a staggering amount of talented people. 
but honestly, part of this whole music business, no matter what aspect you're in, it's all about relationships, and frankly, ultimately, too, it's sales. Mm-hmm. Whether you're, you know, obviously in the beginning, you're all selling yourself, which is why we sort of did the book, but you have to have that gene, and you can learn it, but at some level, you have to be comfortable being thrown into a room of people and yeah. communicate. And, and a lot of creative folks, understandably, are more introverted yeah. and and would rather sort of hang out on the side of a room, you know, at the school dance, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to be able to move yourself <laughs> away from the wall. Otherwise, frankly, it's not going to happen. But so you have to have that, that flame, that, that the drive to... This is who I am, and this is what I can do, and I believe in it, and I just have to get others to. Yeah, if I could add real quick, is that a big pain in the butt to do? Yes. Yes. Do we understand (laughs) that you get up and you're like, I'm trying, I'm trying, when is it going to happen? And it's frustrating. Yes, we do understand that. And is there also, the you know, a lot of you guys out there might just be hobbyists. You're doing this out of pure enjoyment, and it would be nice to see something placed. So you're giving it a shot and you're working towards that. Um, you know, and then there's others that, you know, their life depends on this. You know, this is how they're going to, you know, pay their rent. This is how they're going to eat. This is their future, you know. So there's different levels of this as well. Mm-hmm. But, but and that's okay. You know yeah, what? You oh, it's be totally okay. If you're making 2500 bucks a year getting a few cues placed yeah. or, or, you know, a bunch of instrumental stuff on the Kardashian or Duck Dynasties <laughs> or... Kardashians or Duck Dynasty. Or they'll uh, merge, they'll do a yeah. joint show. <laughs> Duck Dashians. Or Kardashians. We've got a new show. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, you know, that's pretty um, rewarding. It's self-satisfying. And I'm proud of those people as well because you know what? There are a lot of uh, 42-year-old dentists in New Jersey that smoked a little pot in college and they were in a rock band and, and they wanted to pursue music. But they realized they had to be responsible, get a job, and they became a dentist. And now they're 42, and they've got a little time in their hands because the kids are in high school, and they don't require as much attention. Right. And they go out, and they buy $5,000 worth of gear to tack onto their Mac laptop. And I just got an email yesterday, or no, today, from one of our members, who I know very well. He just got his first placement in a feature film. And, oh, that's awesome. And they used yeah. his piece for 18 seconds. He went, eh. And then another place they used it, and then he found out they used it in the end credits, and it rolled for the entire length. There we are. Here we are. We're back. That is weird. Yikes. Relatively new camera. Hopefully that won't happen again. Um, Good catch. Yeah, very good. Uh, I always watch (laughs) the little bars up there to make sure we've got bandwidth. I wasn't looking at the picture. Anyway, okay, so um, PD, public domain covers. When somebody does Uh, a cover of a public domain song... um, and they want to know, do I just get paid, you know, on the uh, master side or do I get paid on the composition side or what? How does that work? OK. Um, needless to say, we could devote this entire discussion <laughs> to public domain. Let me put that out there, first of all. And for anyone out there that ever does try to explore public domain, I want to make sure that you're thinking in terms of the world. 
not just the United States, because you can go online and find out, oh, great, this song is public domain in the United States. That does not necessarily mean that it's public domain in the rest of the How world. How do you track that down for the rest it's of the world? It's so, honestly, it's really difficult. There's you, there's a little bit of research involved, you know, without getting, you know, too arcane, like our copyright law changed in 1976 to be more in line with the rest of the world. Ours was different before then, you know, but generally now it's the life of the last remaining author plus 70 years. So, but there can be other unique laws in a particular country. You just have to be careful. So I guess it's the ultimate. From the, from the 20s? You know, yes. We're in, I'm not going to do the quick math now while but, I'm camera. Okay, but, but it's 1920-something makes it PD. If it, correct. Okay. Um, the, but the thing you have to bear in mind is that if, so bear that in mind. Now, when you record something that's public domain, you know, if you're, say, an artist signed to a record company, a lot of recording contracts specifically say, if you're going to record a song that is in the public domain, we're not going to pay you mechanical royalties on it. Okay. Um, Which are the royalties you get paid every time they stamp a physical unit? Or um, or a digital download. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> since, since, that is, since this is going away more yeah. and more. Unless there's um, a controlled composition clause, then they'll say that. Well, but especially <laughs> in controlled compositions clauses, it will say that's you will pay. That's another episode. That's another, that's <laughs> yeah. another episode of Taxi TV. Stay tuned. Right, sorry, um, but at the Performing Rights Societies also, if you were to register something as, as an arrangement of a public domain song, they're not going to pay you at the full rate. It's okay. typically at ten percent of the normal rate. Uh, the the thing to and what's the normal rate? Uh, again, how much time do we have? Um, you know, you... ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC are the three main performing rights societies in the U.S. They all calculate rates in a different way. But if you just think of it in terms of if say you're an ASCAP member, whatever the full rate that would be payable for a a typical really copyright, yeah. yeah, it's hard. And frankly, it varies quarter by quarter. Yeah, uh, for lots of various reasons. Um, it's going to be 10% of that of that value. Okay. Uh, they, they, it's discounted because it is a song that is not a an original copyright anymore. You took someone else's original copyright that now is no longer under copyright protection. You've made your own arrangement. It's out there. But the thing that is important to know is that you can claim copyright in your arrangement. So if there were to be someone else out there that you you I don't know you know a Stephen Foster song, any number of different songs that that are in the public domain. If you did your own unique arrangement and then someone ended up kind of co covering your arrangement, yeah. they need your permission because you have a copyright in your arrangement wow. of that public domain mm -hmm. song. So, so they're going to get a tenth of a tenth? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Well, you know, it, everything can be negotiable at yeah. that point, but, but a lot of it depends on contract. The PROs have their rules. You can still make money off of public domain songs. And like Sync Sync, sorry, when yeah, you were saying yeah, let's talk when about when you were talking about that. So, you know, Christmas especially, there's lots of public domain Christmas songs. And frankly, in our film and TV world, there's a lot of call every year for looking for new different recordings of frankly both original and public domain songs. So if you record a public domain song like a, a Silent Night, you know, or some of these, you know, you've done your own arrangement. Yes, you can claim a copyright in that arrangement, but usually if a film or uh, TV production studio wants to license that, they're generally going to take the position, hey, look, this fee that we're paying you, we're paying you for your recording. We're not paying you for 
the composition end because really there is no original composition you've okay. just arranged so it. let me take it a step further let's say that it's going in a network tv show prime time um, uh, broadcast net and you might get you know somewhere between 1500 and 5k typically for an unknown act you know mm -hmm. for something mm -hmm. like that uh, well for an unknown act original song so, and half of that is to cover the composition, and half of that is to cover the master, and it's all-inclusive. So, let's call it 5K. Now, because you're doing a public domain piece, do they just say, well, you know, you didn't write this, you just did a new arrangement of it, so we're going to give you 2500 because we're really only paying Sometimes, yes. I mean, it, it kind of depends on the situation and, you know... What the budget of the show is, what the, what that unique, what your frankly your relationship is with the person who you're pitching and you're licensing it to. There there's lots of different factors, but you know yes, if it were say someone where there's no relationship factor, they they certainly haven't asked for you to do it. They've you know I know you gave the five thousand example, but it would probably be a lower one and maybe try to push you down into the library type of things Which where could be what? we'll be pay you five hundred. You know, a lot of libraries are between five hundred and a thousand dollars a pop. Okay. You know, um, and yes, they would probably be like, hey, well, there is no original copyright here. We'll pay you five hundred bucks for your recording and call it a day. Um, do you fight for more if you're Joe Schlepper musician, or do you say, hey, I'm just happy to make money when I can? Um, honestly, each situation is what it is. Mm. Um, you know, there, it's certainly, if I were Joe, whoever that you just, yeah, <laughs> you Joe, just Joe mentioned. Yeah. yeah, you know, if it's Joe's first interaction that he's chosen to license something himself, Joe has gone out there and pitched it himself, he's developing a relationship, um, you know, you probably don't have any leverage in that situation. And especially because you're starting the relationship, you're like, oh, I, you know, I had hoped for more, but if that's all you have in the budget, then yes, I will happily accept mm -hmm. because I want to work <laughs> with you, you very more, much. <laughs> more going forward. You know, as you get to know someone and, and, and develop a relationship with them, it, you, that encourages then a healthier, more open, right. I don't want to say healthier, a more open dialogue of... <laughs> hey man, what can you help here? And the more you develop a relationship, a lot of supervisors will come to you and just say, hey look, and I'm not necessarily just a PD in this case, but it's it's a, hey, I wish I had more in this particular situation, I only have 2,000, you know, could you could you fly could you play ball here and I'll take care of you again somewhere else? Like will I need they, your help here. Will they or have you established your ceiling by being a nice guy and giving them that number? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's no, it's an absolutely great question and a great issue. That's why. And I again, it depends. It depends on the relationship, really, um, because. At one level, if you're the completely new guy, the trouble is you have no leverage in the relationship, and maybe they're going to think of you in that way. You, but I think if you're smart, you know Joe Schmageggy, as you said. <laughs> well, maybe Joe did this one thing for the 500 bucks, but maybe if Joe starts being active and gets other uses elsewhere, right? And in, and continue, you know, not on a weekly, but you know, maybe every month or two or three you know, updates this person with, hey, this has been going on with me, right. I've got this going on, or yep. if you've been able to get radio <laughs> happening, or it. other things happening, yeah. it helps increase your yeah. profile to be, hey, I'm working at this, I'm serious building at this, I'm building it, yeah. and then the next time it comes around, there'll be more supervisors who see that you're working and working hard, 
they want to reward artists. Supervisors love feeling that they discovered an artist. I helped gave this artist their start. Yeah. Um, I always tell uh, students that come to me with this or clients that come to me with this particular issue, I always tell them it's not always what you earn, it's what you learn. So I mean, obviously if you've never placed anything and you have an opportunity to place it, are you not gonna place it because they're not giving you $2,000 and they don't wanna give you 800? I mean, that would probably be a bad move, I mm -hmm. think. You know, <clears throat> But putting yourself out there and then taking that success story and maybe using that to get into another situation and so on and so forth, eventually you're gonna have, you know, you're gonna have a couple, you know, stripes on your belt where you can say, you know what, I'm gonna do it for two thousand, and I think I deserve that. Yeah, it's absolutely. Which leads me to my next question for you, Bobby, which is acting like a pro, not a schmo. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did you call a chapter that? Or if not, <laughs> oh damn, that I, like it. I like that. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I've learned uh, from my friendships, relationships, and interactions with music supervisors and publishers uh, is they appreciate people who don't cost them time or effort. They mm -hmm. like people who are professional. And, and you talk about that a lot. You teach people how to be professional. So Michael's point is well taken. You know what? Get in the door at the 800 bucks, and if you make it painless for them, um, they're going to come back because, hey, Joe Schmo, uh, you know, he's a pretty nice guy. I want to see him be successful because he made my life easy, man. He said that thing would clear. He filled out the paperwork, got it back to me in 20 minutes. Yep. Boom, we were there. Surprisingly key, that yeah. last point right yeah, there. Yeah. Right. So uh, how do these folks learn how to be professional, not only in that scenario maybe, but in all business scenarios? Well, I mean... I mean, this also touches on the issue of branding as well, you know, mm -hmm. and branding is 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 what you put out there um, to the business world, so to speak. And then, of course, the brand the image is the perception that the business world will have about you. So you have to be very cognizant about what you're putting out there. And, um, you know, in the instance that we're talking about, if someone approaches you and they're like, look, we have a, you know, we have an opportunity for you where you can license a piece of music. A lot of times, you know, people are not just doing it because they want to get the better of you and they go, let me use this schmo here. We can get them for cheap. A lot of times it's because, you know, they, they might want to kind of give you a little bit of a shot. But being that you're not experienced, you know, they're not going to, you know, throw out the, 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 the sort of, you know, the, the, the big paycheck. They want to kind of say, hey, let me do you a little bit of a favor. Let you know, see what you can do. So if you live up to that opportunity and, and you're very professional about it, um, you know, that could lead to more and more things. You know, so you, you have to always be very, very thoughtful about what it is you're putting out there. And you also have to be thoughtful about the fact that nobody owes you anything in this business. Really? And every opportunity that you get, <laughs> you need to be very thankful um, for that opportunity. And you need to use that opportunity to build into other areas. I call it connecting the dots. You get one thing and you see how that can connect to another thing and so on and so forth. Um, and ultimately, the last thing I want to say is remember that, you know, th there's things that I still to this day do for free. Um, and like this show, know, for instance. And we got water. Nobody's getting a sag check from this sucker. You know, I mean, uh, and what I mean by that is, is, is um, uh, let me put it this way. You don't do it for free. You do it maybe at no cost because ultimately at the end of the day, you know, uh, you know, nothing is free. I mean, you're putting your time into it. You're putting your energy into it. But you need to see how that's going to connect in the bigger picture. So you need to have a bigger picture kind of attitude about this and not just look at, you know, what am I going to get paid now? Nope, that's not enough. Um, you know, I mean, a lot of the opportunities that I you know, have been blessed with have come from, you know, I guess pay, what I call paying your dues. And sometimes that is paying your price for your lack of professional experience.
And uh, the more you do that, and the more you do that with a smile and make people like you, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a business of, as you said, of relationships, you know, the more that's going to lead to some, some great things where one day you are getting that big paycheck. Um, you brushed upon uh, controlled compositions. Um, we can go into the weeds on this. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that would be an entire show. It comes up every year at the Road Rally. Uh, oh, it does. Interesting. Yeah, last year uh, I had three gentlemen that were my keynote interview at the Road Rally, and they went too deep into the weeds on this stuff, and I could see the audience glazing over. Is there a way, because this is very apropos about what's been going on lately with the DOJ and stuff, um, is there a way to succinctly tell people who don't yet know what a controlled composition clause is? I'll try. Thank you. And I'll try not to get down too down, far down into the weeds. But let me also use it as an opportunity because I've seen a few questions pop up here that I kind of want to – it's relevant, so I might as well address yeah, the question at go, the same time if that's okay. Go for the questions okay. and we can go back to the um, composition. Because, well, but there was one question I saw f- sort of fly by uh, as we have this on the screen in front of us of, you know, oh, wait, does this mean that public domain recordings royalties are paid by the PROs? So I kind of want to make sure since you're question. asking about yeah. one of these things, it's I think it's relevant. Where, you know, royalties in the publishing world, it depends on what medium in which something is happening as to what is paid and who pays it. So... Um, I'll save mechanicals to the last because that'll tie back into your question. But, okay. but obviously for performance, you know, we all from the copyright law have a right to control our public performance. We typic- we could, if we wanted to, license every TV and radio station and internet station ourselves. A lot of publishers have that ability. Our agreements with the PROs are non-exclusive. We can always issue a direct license if we wanted, but. It, as you said, who's got the time? We, we, none of us can deal with that. No so we, uh, we entered into these collective licensing arrangements with ASCAP was the first, then BMI came around. Uh, actually, I think CSEC technically is, is a little bit older than BMI. I forget exactly. It's in the book. Um, <laughs> and now we have GMR, Global Music Rights. So there's really four PROs in the United and States. And you can only join GMR if you're invited thus far, right? Uh, uh, correct. Also with CSEC, though. CSEC, oh, is, CSEC is, is also technically invite only. Okay. Um, ASCAP and BMI are nonprofit. Uh, CSEC and GMR are for profit. Okay. Um, but sp- sticking to this thing, so right public performance it we use the PROs they are our licensing vehicles they're licensing TV stations radio live venues like anything that involves a public performance Even so music on hold uh, yes absolutely okay. so to the person who had had the question earlier about I don't want you to confuse a recording with a performance these are all separate things so a the PRO would pay on a original composition and a public domain arrangement as long as there's a performance involved. Say uh, that again one more time, please. So a performing rights organization will will pay performance royalties only when there's a public performance involved, and that would get paid on an original composition that someone has done or if they've done an arrangement of a public domain. Okay. But to your point earlier, your, your question rather, the arrangement of a public domain work would be paid at that lesser rate than the original composition. So why would anybody be motivated to do a, a PD cover of something if there's inherently less money every time you do it? Honestly, it, you know, especially since my world is so sync related, there's a very simple reason, familiarity. 
everyone knows the brand it. equity. Yeah, you 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 from. immediately know, and everyone every year, you know, always is. My mom is always looking for new Christmas music. Artists have been discovered through Christmas music. It's evergreen. You know, absolute evergreen. Every single year, I know songwriters who have Christmas songs that, you know, I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, I could think of it. I mean, Jose Feliciano, you know, and Feliz all. Feliz Navidad. Feliz Navidad. I mean, I can guarantee you that, you know, the, the performing rights check, you know, s- seven to nine months after the Christmas season is very healthy for these right. people who have done Christmas songs. Um, so that's public performance. Uh, I'll get to mechanicals last. So synchronization we've touched on. So anytime you're synchronizing a piece of music with a visual element, there is that sync. You control it. You, you have to know all the terms, the media, decide what the fee is. There are, there are a lot of factors. But it's, it's separate from a public performance because once you sync something and it airs on television, that then generates the public performance that's going to get handled by your performing right. rights organization. So they're linked. Lastly, mechanical yes. and controlled compositions. So every time a CD is made, a digital download happens, whenever there is a reproduction Right, that's where mechanicals came around. Because in the beginning, of course, it started back in the early 1910s with piano rolls. Right, is basically where the music publishing business started. And moved on to wax cylinders and 38s, and then or yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. Anyways, um, um, it, yeah, I was gonna uh, say what's the okay? That's where yeah. I was kind of like, wait, no, it's not yeah. a 38. No, that's a special. That's a, that's that's a, a different band. Yeah, <laughs> a gun and a band. <laughs> Um, Some more vodka. Thing, yeah, seriously. <laughs> we should do that one, Chef. <laughs> this is this going downhill quickly. <laughs> no, uh, but no, so anytime you have mechanically reproduced something, ACD, a server, so digital downloads, it's all being reproduced from a server and showing up on one server down to your laptop or your iPod or your iPhone, whatever. Um, there's a reproduction, and in the United States, right now, for a song that is five minutes or less, that rate is 9.1 cents. Okay. Uh, 9.1 cents is a combined writer share and publisher share. So the, if the writer and the publisher are different, they have to split the 9.1 cents. Controlled composition uh, was, I, I, this was before me in the business, but I understand that it started with Sony Records where someone in business affairs in the back in the 70 heydays when it was all singer-songwriters, they're like, hey, so we're signing these artists, we're paying them these advances, but they're also 100% writer and maybe in some cases the 100% publisher of all these songs. So like, we have these two income streams that we're paying to the same person. Why are we doing that? So, Why can't we come up with a scenario where we keep some of this money to ourselves? Because it was fair. So, <laughs> so this apparently some, uh, you know, by, by counter. some Sony <laughs> business affairs person decided and came up apparently with the controlled compositions clause, which says, if we sign you to a recording contract and you said artist are the songwriter of songs, we're going to call your songs controlled compositions. And what we're going because to do... You, you control it. You well, ultimately, really, what they're doing is the record company is trying to take control of your compositions, and here's why: is that they so this nine point one cents right is what's called full statutory rate. Rate with a T. Uh, yes, T. Good yeah, point. Rate. 
rate. Yeah, I, yes. I actually used to work with an artist that really truly thought it was statutory oh, rate. Statutory uh, rate. God. Yeah, no, it's statutory oh, rate. Just pointing that out. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Um, and use rape and, is what the labels do. To okay, you know, I knew we were gonna like no, let's not go back. So the classic example of a controlled compositions clause is, okay, said artist, we're going to sign you to this recording deal, we've paid you, whatever, doesn't matter. Well, we want to limit the amount of money that we're going to pay you as an artist, so we're going to establish a maximum, what's called a cap, of mechanical royalties, and that cap is going to be 10 times 75% of the the of the stat full rate was it ten times because there were ten songs on a record on an album well ten for mathematically for my example okay. I mean ten is a typical in a in an example uh, but here's why I, I'm going to give you the worst, uh, worst case, case example okay. right so you have ten times so seventy five percent of nine point one cents is six point eight thank you. You go, boy. I'm impressed. Yeah, I'd have to whip out my phone. I, you know. Anyway, all right. So six point eight, which now ten times that is sixty-eight cents. Mm -hmm. So what this controlled compositions clause does is establish a static pool of sixty-eight cents that all mechanical royalties on a on an artist record are going to be paid out of. Mm -hmm. And let's say there there's two really. Let's say the artist did fourteen songs. Well, if they were still the 100% writer and publisher of all those songs, you're taking 68 cents, dividing that up amongst 14, and that's what they get paid. But here's where it gets really screwy, is let's say this artist, who has 10 songs on the record, let's say they did five covers. Yeah. Right? And oh. let's just say that the covers are under five, five minutes or under, because that's where this 9.1 cents is. When it goes over five minutes, you get into a higher rate. But let's say five covers, at 9.1 cents yeah. is 45.5 cents in full state full stat rate that has to rate with a t yeah. that has to be paid out well that 45 cents is paid out of your 68 cents right. pool that only leaves 23 cents left over that you get paid for the remaining five original songs that you have on mm. your record wow yeah. So you have to be really, you so know. So it's not worth it to do 14 songs on a record. It's not wrong. when you have a controlled compositions clause. Which you're going to have if you're the writer or artist most of the time. Well, Absolutely. But correct me though, I mean, shouldn't uh, an artist be worried more about the creative elements of making a record and not be worried about... Yes, like but the man if there's a manager involved or an attorney, everyone should be... You, no, you don't want to get in the way of the creative process, right. but at the same time... You know, there were, I'll give you the most egregious example that I'm aware of, that I, this is not confidential, I know this has been out there publicly. Um, Eric Clapton, mm -hmm. you know, did the uh, the first MTV Unplugged record, mm -hmm. right? Or the first MTV Unplugged. Um, that's for us older people, because MTV began when we were in the music business, or started. Um, you know, Eric is a songwriter. He was signed to a record label that had a controlled compositions clause. But on that record, he has lots of covers. A lot of Eric's greatest hits were covers. And he, he just has been known to record a lot of things. That, I don't have it in front of me, but I feel like his unplugged record was like 17 or 18 songs. It was a long set that he did. Oh, well, when he released his record, because of the third-party writers that were not him and the covers, he actually exceeded his... Cap. Ah, right. And yeah. and he he was literally losing money every time he sold a record. Wow. 
because if you exceed your your controlled compositions cap, they're going to take it out of your artist royalty. And he's no dummy. His manager was certainly no dummy. So that was a creative decision that screwed him on a business and financial level. But but it got rescued right. because Warner Chapel, who he was with at the time, in the definition of the controlled compositions clause. They successfully argued that the language applied to studio recordings, oh, and in this case, it was a live recording. So they were able to use the ambiguity in the language to negotiate a settlement with the label. Details of which I don't know, um, but it was just that you have to be careful about this stuff. And I hope at some level that kind of answers your. It does. It reminds me. Uh, remember Melanie? I got a brand new pair of roller skates. Sure. I did a double live album with her in the studio where we did a double album top to bottom every night in front of an audience of 30 people sitting around the floor. And then we just cut together the best bars of the multi-track mm. and mixed the record. She had a lot of covers on that. Yeah. And But it was live, but in the studio. Yeah. But just to be clear, one thing, the um, controlled composition clause does not apply to digital downloads, yes or no? Uh, thank you, actually. That mm -hmm. is correct. Right. Bobby is absolutely correct. What about streaming? Okay. Uh, well, yeah, this yeah, is that, that is runs weird. on a whole different... Yeah, I want to go in a totally yeah. different direction and ask Bobby a question <laughs> about... We didn't bring our calculator. We'll, we'll come back for part two. <laughs> um, radio. Uh, it, it still sells music. Uh, look, the, 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 ease, the best way to become a millionaire in the music business, uh, other than my Maserati driving friend, is uh, touring. And, and you can't fill a stadium or a 5,000-seater or a 50,000-seater if you are not having radio hits. And you need three or four big radio hits to even think about starting to tour. Uh, how can the average, let's go back to our friend Joe Schmo or Joe Schmagetti or whatever. Yeah. They're brothers. Uh, yeah. <laughs> how, or cousins at least. Yeah. Um, is there any hope for the average DIY musician in you know Pocatello, Idaho to get him or herself on the radio? Mm -hmm. And if so, how do they do it? What can they expect? Okay, I'll start with this, and then if you have anything, yeah, to I'll add. chime in. I mean, uh, the first thing you have to do again, if you're just, if you're, let's take one step at a time. Um, <clears throat> there's a number of different radio mediums in which you can try to actually promote yourself, and so let's start with them. There is college radio. There is commercial specialty show. There is um, satellite radio, and there are smaller market commercial radio stations that you might try to be played on. There's also web radio stations that are generated from fans as well. Those are, are well worth a, a shot to get on those. And then, of course, you can also create your own uh, web radio station as well and broadcast mm -hmm. your own music and the, and, and the music that people give you the rights to broadcast as well if you wanted to go that route to kind of use it as a promotional tool. But in any case, let's start off with the first one. I mean, if you're a new DIY band, it's very, very simple to get yourself on, 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 a, on a local college radio station. I mean, I did that myself just simply by listening to the, the college radio station when I was a 17-year-old kid in a band. I walked over to the actual college, knocked on the door while I knew they were <laughs> broadcasting, and said, hi, I think you guys are great. I'd like to get your opinion about this music. I spoke with the DJ, and the next week I was being played on the show. And it was the how first big time of a I ever, school uh, was it? How Prin it was Princeton University. Actually. So yeah, a big, a big school. Yeah, it's yeah. a little yeah. tiny school yeah, at that yeah, Princeton. A big school, <laughs> and it was just simply because I was very, very friendly. I was very honest, and I didn't say, "Hey, this is the best thing in the world." I said, "I love mm -hmm. your show. I've been listening regularly, and I would like to get your opinion about this. We're a local group." 
And he did actually play it on the air, and then we became friends. And then that actually um, led to other things. He told some of his other friends that broadcast at College Station, so now we're playing on more stations. He actually knew some um, record stores and comic shops where now they, they took our record on consignment. He actually knew a couple bookers, and then we ended up getting booked. And we actually got quotes from him that we then put in our bios. And we even invited him to come MC one of our shows where he got up and said, hey, this is so-and-so from WPRB Princeton. Welcome to the stage. You know, so it made us look bigger. So we really capitalized on one thing that might appear to most people as being small, but we took it and we made something big out of it. I call it like promoting the promotion, so to speak. Then satellite radio stations, the cool thing about that is, is now it's coming in cars. Um, so people that have money, you know, get, get satellite radio that come in their nice new cars and people with money might be get interested. Some cars that aren't, cars so yeah, it well, doesn't right. have to be a Beamer or Mercedes. Yeah. A lot yeah, of cars absolutely. come with free satellites. That's right. Yeah. Year, so. And these people are the people, point being, that can afford to buy your music and that will if they hear something that they like, you know, because it's on a really cool specific show on satellite radio. Then there's what's called commercial special, I mean, well, commercial specialty shows, right. Those are the special shows on commercial radio stations like Cat Corbett on, um, you know, on K-Rock here in Los Angeles on Sunday nights at 9 o'clock will play local bands. So you're being played on commercial stations, the same ones that play the big stars. Um, on Sunday night at you know, nine o'clock. Is and, there an audience there um, at that hour? <clears throat> well, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, not certainly. drive time. I mean, it might not, right, it's not, of course, you know, drive time, but but sir, it's still like these commercial stations that broadcast for miles and miles and miles. And, you know, it's very possible that, you know, people will hear you and they'll look further on your websites and get more information and, and be more interested in you. Also, the people that are, are, are usually, um, in doing these shows, also sit at the marketing meetings during the day and say, hey, we played this great band the other night that got a lot of phones. You know, we should consider maybe playing them once in a while during the day, you know, and, and that's that possible really? that you get in rotation. Anyway, what are the it odds? It can happen. It was, can, especially I mean, is these... it like a one in 10,000 or is it one in 100? I mean, what are the if, if, I mean, it, it's, some, it's not something that, of course, happens every day. But, yeah. I mean, I saw it happen many, many times. My band got played on BCN in Boston, which is a huge station, and that led to, to new things. When I was coming up in, in Boston going to this school, a band called Extreme was being played regularly. There's a new band um, in Long Beach um, uh, that's be played on KLOS, and they're just a local band, unsigned, that's played all the time. Wow. I wish I could remember the name at this moment. It's Apparently kind of they a, haven't been played it's enough. A, it's a Led Zeppelin, <laughs> a Led Zeppelin uh, uh, type, uh, type act. In any case, then there's smaller market commercial stations. Those are the uh, are commercial stations, but in smaller markets where there's uh, you know a more possibility that you might be able to get um, some broadcast. But but usually it's not because some kid sends in a CD and says you know hey check out my music and they play it. It's because there's some generation. Uh, or, or you're generating some momentum in clubs by doing performances or charities around town. So it's kind of like a lot of different things that add up to maybe some of these opportunities, not just because you send something in the mail. So um, does the person who does a specialty <clears throat> show pick all the music, generally speaking? Uh, yeah, I, I, from what I hear, Kat Corbett, you know, she picks the music um, that she wants to play, you know, based on the order that it's sent and what she likes, and also based on the activity of the groups that around town and what they're doing. She'll actually go out to clubs and and look at bands and spot bands and say, you know what, I want you, you know, to get you on the show and so on. So you just brought um, up something really important: what she likes, and you know what. Few, far few, far too few musicians 
do their homework and figure out what people like. Mm -hmm. You can watch a TV show and learn what the pattern of music that they use, what their taste is, what their mm -hmm. tone is. Same thing with the specialty show. After a while, if you were to listen to a specialty show every Sunday night for two months, you would feel like you had a personal relationship with that DJ, and you would know what their taste is. Right. Mm -hmm. Don't try and bring them, uh, you know, a, a Zydeco band if what they play is metal. Most <laughs> right. Of the exactly. Time. Yeah. Exactly. So you, that's how I got and, my and first play on PRB. By the way, I went in and I said, "I know that you like Mahavishnu Orchestra and Chick Corea, and this is our band." You know. Wow. You see, know. there you go. And so, now yeah. you don't have to worry about terrestrial radio and being isolated from. You could go on the internet and listen to specialty shows even in, in smaller and mid-sized markets to build that familiarity mm -hmm. yeah. so you know yeah definitely and don't uh, don't underestimate web radio stations too because i mean the power we're all i mean uh, there's a term that's been coined now called citizen journalists which basically means that any fan is now a, a journalist i mean <laughs> you know some some fans uh, have you know sometimes bigger followings than than some you know uh, online magazines you know you have these kids that start these blogs and have millions of people that are that are you know hitting on them so you know get those people to start liking your music and start playing your music on their radio stations on there and you know and writing about them on their blogs as well so this is all you know definitely worth noting and to your your point when you're talking about just the familiarity what they like or and all of this and him doing i think the homework is key and no matter what you're doing it whether it be radio for you know film and tv stuff with our joe schmo or shmageggy <laughs> example right you know, where he got his Christmas thing used, I can tell you that the first turnoff that any music supervisor will have if you were to reach out to them is, you know, it's easy to get their emails, right? There's, you know, the film and TV music guide at musicregistry.com and all this sort of stuff. But you, if you email them and say, hey, this is me, what are you working on? Yeah. yeah, they're going to instantly delete your email. But if you email and say, hi, this is who I am, this is a link to my band, don't send MP3s. I love what you do on X show. My music would apply to this show because of, you know, Sally's storyline right now is with this is going on, listen to my lyric of this. Like if you do the work for them and just that will be, that already is the first hurdle because you've done your homework. You're not, you know, barraging them with stupid questions. You're like, this is who I am. This is what I do. This is essentially the service I'm offering to you yeah. to help make your job easier. Exactly. Listen to my music. Sold I call it cars, bars, and hotels. Uh, almost every drama has scenes with cars, so you need background source. Absolutely. Coming from a car radio. Um, bars, because mm -hmm. you've got people in a meeting in a bar, and it's either going to be, you know, like a Tiki Hut bar or an upscale, you know, cosmopolitan bar. Uh, in hotels, a lot of hotel lobbies, people uh, registering Absolutely. at the front desk. So take a show like Homeland on Showtime. And Carrie Matheson, the show's protagonist, um, she's been in um, the Middle East, I believe. Um, yeah. Not Afghanistan, Pakistan. I think yeah, she's, she's kind of been all over, yes. Yeah, I've been but, watching but, the whole series. Yeah, I but, love that series. Yeah. But they generally stay in one location for the better part of the series. And mm -hmm. so I look at the log line and go, okay, so for this coming season, 2017, which is coming any day now, I believe, um, I think they're going to be back in the U.S. and she's going to be based out of D.C. That means she's going to have a lot of meetings in Washington, upscale Washington, D.C. bars. What do people listen to when they go to a restaurant mm -hmm. or a bar in Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. to play f Spy versus Spy? It's going to be cocktail jazz piano. 
It might be, uh, uh, help me think of a genre here. I'm, I'm stumping myself. Well, it's, it's, it's going to depend on the DC bar. There could yeah. be some EDM, European EDM type music if it's kind of like when trying she was to be in Germany hip last and trendy. Year. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and that show too, you mentioned, you know, though they have music that is particular to the to the area and the country that they're in there's also such a jazz influence like yeah. jazz is a guy who represents some jazz there's very few outlets for jazz that whole series those producers love jazz the theme of it is all oh, jazz influenced and great jazz by the way i happen to be friends with the supervisor and every year they're always looking about like hey what are we going to cover and let's try to get like a blanket arrangement where we can use it and dip into the jazz when it's appropriate but you'd have to be watching the show to know that that's there to even bring it up speaking of jazz if i may and i haven't gone public with this at all yet um is it a fair statement to say that it's damn near impossible to get signed to a jazz label because there are so few of them compared to pop labels um well i mean the short answer is probably yes but I mean, the thing, honestly, that is fascinating to me, even you're bringing up jazz, we represent this guy, Philippe Sace, who's a well-known studio guy, has been in jazz forever. And yeah, he's been signed to labels, but you know what? Like, he's been putting out singles now. He is the label. He's hiring the radio promoter. He's hiring the publicity guys. And you know what? Like, he's starting to, like... That's he, because he, he, doesn't... he probably read this book. <laughs> Well, the, the reason that I ask is, in my experience, 40 years in the business now, uh, has been that it's hard enough to get signed to a pop label. Um, it's even harder with jazz right. because there's so few of them and they sell so few records and the signings are like maybe one a year per label. I am very proud to let you know that Taxi member Lindsay Webster, uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, I reached out to an old friend of mine who used to be VP of a at a big jazz label and he used to run listings of Taxi. That's how we became friends. Okay. Then he became a manager of many, many of the top jazz acts. And I called him up and said, you know, we never get really good jazz listings from labels anymore. Can you leverage your relationships, call these guys up, see if they'll run listings with us, and you'll be the, the ears on it. And he said, sure. If I can do like, you know, five, ten hours a week of screening for you guys, I'll do that. Well, he sent me an email the other day and let me know that Lindsay Webster has the number one smooth jazz single in the market and she, the only other artist to do that in the last 10 years is Sade. Hmm. Wow. And, uh, and she signed with Shanaki Records, and she's yeah. managed by this guy That's now. Awesome. So That's fantastic. That was, you know, we do a lot of sync stuff at Taxi, um, and it's rare that we get record deals for people just because they're really freaking hard to get, especially mm -hmm. these days. To get a jazz deal, I'm so proud of Lindsay yeah, Webster. That's awesome. No, that's fantastic. I mean, I can tell you as a as a you know as a as a screener myself. I mean, one of the things that's exciting is when you're listening to you know um, your music, and you know we come across something that's really great. I mean, everybody gets really excited about yeah. it, obviously, and and you know I mean everybody's here to to see ultimately you guys succeed. You know, so you know sometimes it might be frustrating where things might not be you know you know, passing along or passing forward, but you just have to you just stay at it. Because I've seen some people do some really amazing things. So We hear, you know, the quantity, the, the per capita amount of great music that comes through this place compared to what it was like five years ago or ten years ago has become astounding. Okay. I think the, the word is out. Uh, unfortunately, there's a myth, don't join Taxi till you're ready. 
the truth and reality of it is join taxi when you're at like a C plus or a B minus level and let us take you to B plus then A minus then A sure. like the Maserati driving yeah. guy uh, the critiques are invaluable yeah, yeah. 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 if you yeah. actually listen to them yeah well you have to and it, it stings you get those things and you go yeah. eh, who's this jerk um, but you combine the critiques with Taxi TV, with the Road Rally, and, yeah. and you put it all together, and a certain percentage of our members will climb the ladder, and we're just so proud of how many people are, are not only getting deals, but getting placements and making stuff oh, happen. Oh, for sure, and, yeah. Well, the thing to me of why I frankly love the DIY thing, I mean, look, I'm an independent publisher, so the independent artist, the DIY, why we did the book, where I try to always frame it for everyone is that you know, the the definition of success for me in the music business has totally changed from when the three of us started. It was always about, let's get signed to that record label, let's do this, right? You know, but with every outlet that we all have now, to me it's like, boil it down to the basics. If you guys as independent artists can get uh, a thousand people to pay a hundred dollars a year on what you do, whether that's CD, concert tickets, you do merch, whatever. Like if you think about it, that's, you know, what? It's like $8 and change a month. Yeah. Can you find a thousand fans, whether they be local in your local, um, you know, neighborhood, community, you know, city, et cetera, or across the internet? Like that's a hundred thousand dollars a year. Absolutely. If, and, and it and it feels like a far more manageable thing. I don't, I don't need to have millions of people and be on radio and all of this to have a full-time career in music. All it takes is a thousand people who love what you do that'll pay a hundred bucks. I, I coined the phrase years ago and it's absolutely, you can research this and find out I was the first guy to ever use the phrase, um, uh, now I'm blowing it. Uh, <laughs> middle class musician. Uh, yeah, middle class musician. There was an article that I wrote that ended up in, in Music Connection. Hmm. And, and my theory was, hey, if a plumber has to learn his or her craft, all these other crafts people have to learn, you know, they, they, they do their apprenticeship, they learn their craft, and they can make that $100,000 a year thing. Why can't musicians do yeah. that? Mm-hmm. And, and only a small percentage of people will work that hard. Part of it is booking shows. Uh, and yeah. you are very expert on the subject, and most people just want somebody else to do it for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, DIY, the good DIY guys have figured out how to do it. Tell them what they need to know, yeah, please. I mean, um, you pick up your phone. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Oh, but I hate you. making sales. That's dirty. Yeah, no. Well, listen, I mean, all right. So as, as you know, we've been pointing out throughout this whole show, things have changed. I mean, in the past when I was coming up, you know, you, you, you try to go for the big record deal. And I can tell you stories that you guys will probably hate to hear about friends of mine that would write four songs, go into SIR studio, talk some A&R guys to come in, listen to them. They would get signed. They would go make their record, and the first tour would be opening for Kiss. I know you don't want to hear that, but you know those those days don't necessarily yeah. exist anymore. So you just have to get you know you know you just have to say you know in this day and age you are going to have to be more business minded. You are going to have to be like the CEO of your own company. Mm-hmm. So you can't. I know it's a lot of work because you have to spend hours just to be a great musician and a great songwriter. And now I have to be a great marketer and I have to be a great salesperson and I have to be a, you know. Yeah, great, you know, know about publishing and that type of thing. I mean, it's, there's a lot of stuff to know. And, and totally, totally, <laughs> I'm with you on this. It's it's a lot of stuff, you know. Um, but you just you just kind of have to try to balance it out. You just have to try to take that first step. So that first step would be, you know, simply, you know, paying attention to the different clubs that are in your 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 neighborhood. And I'm starting with clubs 
first and foremost simply because they're convenient. They have a stage, they have lighting, they have PA, you know, they have parking, they have security, they have liquor, etc., to sell to the people that come mm -hmm. in and watch you. Right? All the essentials. So you start with those those places first, and you try to fit obviously the the audience that those clubs attract. You so pick you up apply the, phone. the same method that you would for the specialty radio guys. Same thing. Yeah, you, you know, don't you, bring a singer-songwriter act to a hair No, yeah, no, you definitely, exactly. you, you know, you pick up the phone and you call them, you know, or you go to the club and then you ask the waitress, you know, what time is the best time to call the club and they'll tell you what time their call hours are. You call in and you're very, very positive. Hi, my name is so-and-so. This is the name of my band. We would like to get a gig in August, sometime around the 12th or 14th. You know, we have been playing around in the community and we're sure that we can, you, we can work really, really hard to bring in you know a, a, a good size audience we don't want to get overboard here but we think we can at least bring in 20 people or, you know and, and and you just have to be very firm and very honest and 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 that's a place to start and then of course leverage any success with the other club owners that's number one number two is go alternate venue performances which basically means don't just play clubs Think about the psychographics, now I'm getting into marketing, of your target audience. Psychographics is the activities, interests, and opinions of your fans, which Say basically again, means... slowly. Yeah, sure. Psychographics are the sort of the activities, the interests, and opinions of your most likely audience. Which is different from demographics, which is... Right. Demographics would be age, gender, ethnicity, you know, how much they make per year, where they went to school, and that type of thing. So if you found a bar, <clears throat> for instance, where a bunch of hunters hung, hung out... Um, in Idaho, chances are that they may be of conservative po political view. Um, they're probably 20 to 45, and they listen to rock. Yeah. Versus, well, sure, I exactly. love my cat on an acoustic. Yeah. And, and where I'm going with that is then you can say, well, they don't just hang out in clubs, right? Do they hang out in hunting lodges? You know, <laughs> could we play hunting lodges? I mean... So the idea is to look at some of the activities that your fans do and try to play there. So, for example, right now, are your fans sitting in a club hugging a beer waiting for you? You know, no, they're probably at work. So could you play corporate parties? Yes. Could you play colleges because they might be at school? You know, yes. You know, um, if they um, are into getting tattoos and their lifestyle is piercing and stuff, could you play tattoo festivals? You know, the answer is yes. I mean... There's just, you know, if they're into X game type stuff, could you play surfing kind of championships on the beach and things like that? Yes. You know, I mean, there's so many other things that you can do um, and other places that you could play that you should definitely look into. And again, it's just a matter of giving a call and, and, and talking to the person that books. How do you do house concerts? I know people that have turned oh, that yeah. into a 50,000. You know, it's kind of a part time 50 grand a year income stream. Um, and doesn't seem that hard to pull off. Do you have any knowledge? Yeah, I mean, there used to be some websites like, I think it was called houseconcerts.com. I don't know if it exists anymore that would kind of try to help you get on that circuit. But I mean, again, I mean, essentially, you know, it's, it's, there's a lot of people in this, in the, in the community that, you know, might, announce that they want to do a concert in their home or you can even suggest to them that you know hey we would like to play i know you're having a party we'd like to play at that party and you can you can make yourself available through just advertising on your website that you're available to play house parties um you know so you know check out that website because that used to be kind of a helpful database of people that were looking for acts to play and I'm sure there's a similar database like that out there now where people are looking for people to come play, um, you know, in their homes. 
but but certainly again it's it's really really not that difficult i think that's the the ultimate message i want to say here it's it's actually quite logical too i mean if you want to buy a car you pick up the phone you look at all the car dealerships and you start calling and then you go down there mm-hmm. and you start talking to people it's really the same thing with 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 clubs and you just have to do it and just get you know out of the mindset that somebody's going to come save you and do it for you, you know. And, and, and to your really point, to that. you know, you bring up house concerts. House concerts is very typical in more of the folk world, mm-hmm. right? You know, and there's folk alliance that happens every year. You know, doing your research, it's yeah. like, well, here's a national convention. They're all folk alliance has all these regional chapters that they all do their own conventions. And, you know, you seek that out. All those people, the house concerts exist because the people that have opened up their home, because they love music, they go to these events, sign up for these events, pay to go to these conventions. And they have showcases, yeah. network, play. I mean, at Folk Alliance, I've been a couple of times. They literally, you know, people book out their, their hotel rooms and are holding showcases oh, in the time. hotel yeah. room. And, you know, so much of these guys that, and gals that do house concerts, they are specifically trolling all those rooms for who would I like to book into my home because they yeah. love music. I'd like to have the Birkenstock uh, booth at, at Folk Alliance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's talk about radio promos. I think that that is maybe the least discussed aspect of music licensing out there. And frankly, uh, I'm pretty knowledgeable about licensing. I don't know how pe- I know. I know how people get paid. I don't know how the rate is determined for what people get paid when they license a song or an instrumental for a promo and can we discuss it from um, a promo that would be on a cable net versus a major broadcast net? Um, Sure. Um, You know, it's it's frankly a whole similar process as if you're licensing a piece of music to a film or a television show. But there are specific promo people that... Oh no, yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're sort of like, you know, much like Films and film studios have the marketing department to do the trailers. There's all the networks that produce the shows, and they have their own promo promo departments. And it's you know it it is a world. It's a volume world, mm-hmm. you know, where which therefore mostly library music is getting used. Um, but they you know when you sit down any one night, there's I don't know count the promos. Oh, you know, every single promo yeah. has music, right? Yeah. You know, and it's typically done where it's probably honestly for your your instrumental library music not a well-known song mm-hmm. it, it gets used in what's called a needle drop rate right so it's like every use that happens boom you'll get and it's probably honestly these days 100 to 200 bucks a needle drop you know per use um, and you still the, make the, money the, on the, the fees honestly sometimes the fees between cable and network are these upfront fees, these needle drop fees, are going to be around the same? Okay. Um, for for me, who who also represents a bunch of well known songs, you know that you can get up to thousands of dollars per week, um, and, and those those are usually licensed on a per week basis as opposed to the per drop mm-hmm. like these library things. Um, you will see a higher fee typically on those bigger ABC, CBS, NBC than you would on a on a cable thing. Is the PR, mo- PR yes, money the P- way bigger on a broadcast net than a cable net just because of oh, the size? No question. Okay. Um, you know, because all of most of the PRO licenses, the blanket licenses that they issue, are all based on a percentage of the ad revenue that that network takes in. 
So, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, without question, is the holy grail of performance income, at least here in the United States. Um, But you're saying, can you get PRO money? Yes, absolutely. Um, It's a little more... Uh, fragmented is not quite the right word, but it, it all relies on the networks who have to gather all of this volume of promo information. What got used, there's little cue sheets, and then they have to submit the promo information exactly to the PRO. Yeah. The PRO then has to process it, and it, it frankly, it can take a while, and they get behind. So it's, it's usually on a uh, not intentional different schedule, but a use in an episode is usually kind of paid on a more regular, timely yeah, basis than promos but- because of that intense volume. Yeah, and they button up the episode at the end of a week, you know, and... And, and there's 22 episodes yeah. in a full season, whereas that particular uh, series that has 22 episodes might end up with having 300, 400 promos for that one series throughout a broadcast season. And you mentioned blankets. So I want to differentiate the difference between a blanket license that uh, a network does with the PRO versus a blanket that Lasco's Music Library, which doesn't exist, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the Mikey's Music Library, uh, I do a blanket deal with the Kardashians, let's say. Right. Um, so first explain what a blanket is on a network basis, and then let's move on to a blanket from a library to a particular show. Okay, sure. Um, you know, all the networks that exist, in order for them to perform music, they need those public performance licenses like we were talking about before. So they typically have to have licenses from all three major ones in the U.S., ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC. Mm -hmm. And what, in their world, what a blanket license means is that the rate that gets negotiated is an annual fee, usually payable one time a year. Maybe they've broken it up into payments. And I'm guessing that's in the tens of millions or something? Oh, there's no question. Um, In fact, I believe, um, you know, ASCAP and BMI um, have press releases that go out every year talking about what they have collected the previous calendar year, so you can find it publicly. But I believe TV blanket licenses are the biggest source of income for both ASCAP and BMI. Wow. Uh, and then commercial radio being second. Hmm. Um, but, the, but the blanket license, it's called blanket because that network gets the license from them, whatever fee they negotiate, it gives them literally the ability to perform every single song in that society's repertoire. So they've got to negotiate. So they don't need to worry about going on a song by song basis. It's like we know as long as we've got ASCAP, BMI, and CSAC, you know, again, main three, all covered. We've got blanket licenses from all three. We can play whatever we want. Is there any amount of the ASCAP guy saying to the network, look, I know what you paid BMI last year? You know, I mean, how do they get away with individualizing a, a unique negotiation? Um, Great question. I mean, what to. Nobody knows the answer. I don't honestly <laughs> yeah. know the answer. Um, I mean, you can imagine, though, like any business, and is that in most of these negotiations, there's a TV music licensing committee, mm-hmm. which is what the societies are doing the negotiations with. Um, you know, those societies all heavily compete against each other. And you can imagine the reason they would understandably compete, because if I can lure over X and Y composer from this other society who does a lot of volume, the next time I go in front of the TV music licensing committee, I can show them what I have now. 
and argue that I have a bigger part of the pie and therefore my fee needs to be increased from what the last license was. So this is why PROs will use, I've heard, their slush funds and bonuses that are paid to bring somebody over. It's like we'll give you a first year bonus or advance you half of what we anticipate you're going to earn in a year because they want those big composers so that they can jack their blanket up. Yeah, I mean, every society has different payment methods. They're actually pretty open about it on their websites. You can read about how everything is, is calculated. There's, we can read it. Can yeah, I know. Understand, yeah, understand it? So no. I mean, there's a reason why they... But to be I've actually f- once called them and asked them about that, how yeah. they determine the, the actual fee that they're going to charge someone. And they said, well, let's just say, for example, um, a radio station might be charged based on a its broadcast range, its advertising revenue, mm-hmm. and that's how they would formulate, um, you know, a blanket license for that particular radio station. Let's just say it's say. really complex. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they all have like economists on staff who are constantly yeah. like having to figure all this crap out. It's not the world I would want to live in. I wouldn't either. So now, that but yet entirely on... important to my life and and yeah. everyone's life here. Uh, it's becoming critically important to our members because I mean, look at you know, uh, twenty. Four years ago, people laughed at Taxi. I know they laughed at us. Oh, those guys only get their members film and TV. Well, like you mm-hmm. said, film and TV has become uh, you know the top of the totem pole, whereas radio is number two. I think that used to be reversed. Yeah, no, I mean, look, you can still make tons of money if you have a big radio hit, but it is a total. That's a whole nother Taxi TV yeah. conversation for you know major labels and and corporate radio and iheart clear channel all of that kind of stuff it's incredibly difficult and so now let's go to the blanket that oh uh, right blanket of like a library yeah mikey's library is is cutting a blanket deal for an all-you-can-eat blanket deal for xyz show um some of the established libraries um can get a fee for that blanket license um, and and it, it's a similar concept as the PRO license. It says network or said production. You know, I'll just use round numbers. So okay. Mikey's Music Library. You know, some production wants a blanket, season-wide blanket to use whatever you want in the library, and they're going to give Mikey's li- library, since it's not yours, a thousand dollars. Okay. Is okay. that an actual number or? It's all across the board. I've known. I mean, frankly, a lot of. There's so many libraries out there right now. It's such a crazy competitive world that, frankly, people are giving music away for free. Just to make. I mean, that, that's that's a whole other thing that I would encourage. It can be a separate com. You know, yeah. you know, we all have to work hard to bolster up the value of music, because if it doesn't happen, we're all going to be out of jobs. But uh, it can go from zero up to. I think I've known some libraries to get ten and twenty thousand dollars for a season. But because it's a blanket, it means that that production knows it controls their costs. Everything that's in that library, I know that I can drop it however many times that I want into any episode for my entire season, and my cost never goes up. Almost eliminates the need for a music supervisor, which is an additional cost, because they could just hand the editors, if it's a reality show, a drive and say... There and a lot go. of reality shows don't have composers for yeah. that exact reason. Right. They, they do all these multi-library deals... Um, and literally score their entire, sh- entire, every single episode with licensed in music. So now, when the library gets, let's let's pick a round number. Let's say 10k. Okay. Uh, Mikey's Music Library gets 10,000 bucks. All you can eat deal for XYZ TV show. Uh, and now you guys are both composers in Mikey's Music catalog, and you get 121 cues of yours placed, and you get 14 of yours placed. 
are the libraries required to do that math and pay you guys proportionally out of that blanket amount that they've collected, or do you get paid at all? I, I've heard it go both ways. It can be both ways, honestly. What happens more often than not, would you guess? Or I, I don't. I I can't be the one that probably makes that general sort of thing because the library. I don't spend any time in the library world, but. You know, we have had composers of ours who have negotiated deals with other libraries, and you know, one of the points of negotiation is, do you participate in the sync fees or not? And these are these blanket licenses. You know, there are some libraries that offer that participation. There are others that do not. Seems fair. Um, and, and well, and mm -hmm. to be to be fair and to play the, I don't want to say devil's advocate, but I mean. You know, when you are a music library, it's an incredibly, it's gotten a little bit different now because it's moved so digital, but in the traditional library world, I mean, you're talking about expenses for production of CDs and, you know, there's time, like, you know, you have a minute long piece, most libraries are going to have, you're going to have your minute, you're going to have a 30 second cut down, a 15 second cut down and all of this. And the this all takes, don't do them. No, all if the they yeah. usually have in-house people who this is their job, they know what to do, they know how to cut it, then all of this to make it work. There's a lot of manpower involved, there's an expense to put together all the packages, there's expense to go out and do sales, and the composer is not having to participate in any of that effort or expense. So that explains so to you guys why when people call me up and go, why are these libraries giving me no money up front? They want 100% of the publisher share. They're letting me keep 100% of the writer share. They're making half the money, but I made all the music. Why do they deserve it? That explains it. Yes, you know, but there are a lot of, I mean, look, there's small libraries, small libraries, there's large libraries. It's all typically done as a work for hire. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, larger legitimate libraries will pay an upfront. They'll give you a budget and they'll do it. This is a work for hire, whether it's, I'll pay you a thousand bucks a pop, you know, you do whether you do an album or, but see, that is, they're actually tasking you with something. Correct. Uh, versus... Bobby makes something this weekend and submits it to him. It's already been created. It's not created for... He's not on a mission. He's not creating a specific thing. He, it exists, and they like it, and they sign it. Yeah, I mean, I'd say you you vet any library like you would vet a publisher, like you'd vet a an attorney, anyone else that you would want to get involved with, you know, find out about them. Are they reputable? Is their music getting right. licensed? You know, there's forums online, like, you know, this right. whole online revolution yeah. has yeah. allowed everyone to talk about anything that they've had bad experiences on, yeah, the as well as good experiences. It, Do your research. Yeah, but the bummer is a lot of the bad experiences, look, I, I see stuff about Taxi all the time. Oh, I, I submitted, you know, 13 times to Taxi and never made any money. Well, maybe you pitched poorly or pitched music that wasn't all that great 13 times. Absolutely. You know? But it lives forever on the internet. So I take yeah. that, that stuff with a grain of salt because I know that I've seen companies, uh, libraries in particular, that are badmouthed that I know the owners. I know how hard they work. I know that when I'm here at 8 or 9 o'clock at night and they shoot me an email, I can pick up the phone. They're still working. I'm still working. Absolutely. If they're working yeah. at 9 o'clock at night, they get my vote. Absolutely. Just a little quick thing I wanted to add to that because you know, um, you know, I deal with a lot of independent artists that are constantly coming to me with these types of deals and saying, hey, does this look fair and that type of thing. Usually I ask them, I say, well, just take, just go through a couple a couple really, really quick steps. So number one, you know, who is the library or who is the record company or who is the song plugger or who is the music publisher? In other words, just let's let's type them into Google and let's see how they come mm -hmm. up. 
then now let's look at their website how transparent are they somehow for some reason i tend to be a little bit doubtful about people that don't like to offer their faces in a picture with some <laughs> sort of biography saying this is michael you know Ames. this is the name of my company this is when i was born this is where i went to school i mean you know when, when they kind of hide behind this company name and there's no information about who the players are in, them, in there i get a little bit just like well how come you know and then of course if they do offer that information you know go ahead and do a, some more searches you know who is this person how long has he been in this business where did he used to work and then who are the artists maybe you can reach out to the artists and ask you know mm -hmm. do you have a Absolutely. good experience with them so you know again just breaking it down to some very very simple things so that it doesn't seem so overwhelming and so complicated i think is, is something that would be very very helpful to all of you guys when you're when you're looking for these types of opportunities yeah. one, one more question and then i want to open it up to questions from our viewers um bobby on uh pay to play as it relates to booking yourself in clubs mm -hmm. everybody's like, Ooh, pay to play i mean the tournament's <clears> used <throat> for taxi as well but it's a whole other part of the business and another issue as it relates to clubs I get it. A club owner has to sell drinks because that's how they earn their living and pay mm -hmm. their rent. Um, and while they may truly love music and they may love the Michael Ames band and, and just think you guys are the greatest thing in the world, if you only get your girlfriends in, well, you're married, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. If the band only brings their girlfriends and they've got four people in their swilling beer, versus a band that can get 50 people or 100 people um, into the club. What's your take on pay to play? Uh, and I know that's a tough question. So that's uh, actually uh, no. I've given this a lot of thought because, as you guys know, I mean, I'm an artist first and foremost, and I played in in clubs ever since I was, you know, you know, started playing when I was 12, and I was doing the whole thing. In you've clubs. been doing this for like five years now. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, but I've been I've been deal, dealing with this topic for for years, and here's how I look at it. Um, well, there's there's two sides to every story, right? So let's look at the club owner side. The club owner has to pay rent. The club owner has to build a stage, get a PA, get lights, get liquor licenses, renovate to make the club look, you know, modern, get, uh, you know, liability insurance, uh, and so on and so forth. Um, it costs a lot of money. The, the club isn't in the business of making your dreams come true. The, the club is in the business of making a profit, you know, paying their expenses and, and, and selling liquor. Um, and the way they might do that is by bringing in, you know, entertainment. So if you're a group that essentially plays really good but brings in no one, you're not doing them any mm -hmm. favors, right? Now, if you are a group that is really good and, and can bring a lot of people, then you'll find out that the club owner will not make you pay to play any longer. You know, this is just a system to cover the the asses essentially of the of the promoters to say, look, I'm going to give you a shot, but if you screw up, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get hurt for it because at least I got my, you know, basic nut for, for the, the you know the production covered. So essentially, that's all it is. So in the early stages, either stay away from pay-to-play clubs and build up a little bit of a rapport in smaller clubs so that the the bigger clubs trust that you have a draw. Or just deal with it and look at it like, hey, this is the way it is. Let's let's sell these tickets. I mean, the group that I was uh, in when they originally started, they did pay to play. You know, Pennywise, all these big punk bands in L.A. did it. And um, and they just looked at it like, you know, let's sell a lot of tickets. Let's go out there and kick ass. So you just kind of got to take the bull by the horns and do it. Now, let's look on your side, the artist side. 
The artist side is I've spent years practicing, you know, learning my craft, you know, spend, spend, uh, spending money to learn, learn, you know, guitar lessons, drum lessons, etc. And this is what I do and I do it well. Now I'm going into some other body, uh, someone else's club. I'm going to provide a service. I didn't tell them to start a club. It's not my problem if they have expenses. So I deserve to get paid. And that's the, the artist side. And that's a fair argument as well. But the problem is, you guys, is that our argument loses. And the reason why is because if you say, I'm going on strike, I'm not going to play that club, the next artist is going to use that as an opportunity to play. <laughs> exactly. So unless all artists get together and go on strike in one city and say, we are not <laughs> playing, which is not going to happen, <laughs> then not. it's just something that you got to deal with. And then one other point. Have you ever tried to put on your own show? Meaning, have you ever tried to rent a room, get a PA, get lights, get deal with the liquor, deal with the police? It, it would cost you, you know, at least three to four, maybe even five thousand dollars to do that. Um, you know, if you're going to do it right, you know. So, you know, you look at it like a guy's letting you come play on their stage for two hours and give you an opportunity to throw a party and draw a crowd. You know, it's really a bargain if you have to, to pay the guy at the hundred dollars that, you know, that essentially you can even make three or four hundred dollars on those tickets they give you if, if you're a great salesperson. So mm -hmm. that's kind of how I see it, um, you know. So um, listen, don't forget, I'm on your team, you guys, <laughs> you know, but I just try to see things from a practical uh, perspective. It's a know? business. It's a Everyone business. Everyone is solved. It's a business. Yeah. Um, taking our first viewer question, uh, how long does it take to get registered as a publisher? Uh, you're already registered with ASCAP, I see. Well, the, I mean, whether it's ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC, it's actually a pretty quick process. Um, ASCAP I've found to be the fastest because it's all been online uh, and you can literally fill out everything online and I think you're a member within 24 hours like they turn it around really quickly BMI just started online I haven't had any direct experience yet um, all I would say is make sure you're registered both as a writer and a, as a publisher because for all of you that write your own material always bear in mind that when you write it because you, until you sign a piece of paper otherwise, you're the publisher, you're the owner. You know, you have to take that responsibility and take care of your own business, so. So just out of curiosity, that, that question was from someone that's already registered as a writer? Well, yeah, the end of the question there, it says, I'm already registered with ASCAP, but I'm, okay. what's unclear to me is, are you registered as a writer or a no, publisher as both? I would, I would bet just as a writer. I would too. And I've been seeing this trend. I talked to you about this, where when people call in, maybe you don't want to talk about no, it. No, I think I know okay. where you're going. Go well, ahead. Well, there's this, 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 this confusion where... Um, apparently when people call in and they register as a writer, well, first of all, you are both the writer and publisher until you transform those rights, um, you know, to somebody else to handle your publisher. So you're publishing, so you're both the writer and publisher. So you should register as both the writer and publisher. Um, unless of course there's different circumstances, but some of the folks I hear that are helping people with their questions are just saying, you know what, you can just register as a writer and that way you'll save the, any fees that are I knew you were related go there, to yeah. <laughs> the signing up as a publisher. And I'm like, what? How does that work? No, well, this has happened traditionally more with BMI. I'm not, you know, calling them out mm -hmm. per se, but it's free to join BMI as a writer, right. but it costs to be a publisher. Uh, ASCAP, I believe, technically it's both. There's a fee for both, um, and I think it's the same. Uh, so a lot of, for over the years, a lot of people have been said. 
it's you know BMI reps have told writers, oh, just join as a writer and we'll pay you your publisher share through your right. writer account. Right, right. Um, but where that doesn't really work is say in a film and TV situation that we've been talking about, you know, the the invoice that exists in a film and TV thing is a cue sheet. And a cue sheet has a column that says, here's the writer, here's the percentage, here's your PRO, here's your publishing company name, your mm-hmm. percentage and a PRO. Um, BMI knows to pay 200% essentially over to your writer account, right? 100% of writer, 100% of publisher. But when that, these days, everything gets sold internationally. So mm-hmm. anything that goes to a foreign PRO in a foreign country, they're going to get a copy of the cue sheet. And, you know, there's this international database called the IPI database that has all the writers and all the publishers. Well, a society over there may intake the cue sheet, look for a publishing company that has the name of you as an individual, Uh, and they're not going to find it because it doesn't exist. Right. They don't know that you have the arrangement with BMI that they're going to pay everything through your writer account. And it happens all the time that the foreign PRO will send the BMI writer money to BMI, but the publishing money will stay there because there was no match and they don't really know where to go. So it really is almost better to set up a writing writer membership and publisher membership at the same time. And people want to know, do I have to file a DBA and go through all the motions, maybe even incorporate or do an LLC to set up a publishing company? And then they want to go, I own a publishing company. Right. It's really just for the... The mechanics of having a place to send the other check, and so that when it goes foreign, they have a place to send the checks, right? I mean, it's yeah, more about I mean, that the, than the well, the the essentially whenever anyone sets up, um, sets up the publishing company at the PRO, it is essentially a DBA. You, right. you are correct, but if you if you set it up where you know you have to indicate whether you're a sole individual sole proprietor or a corporation or LLC mm-hmm. or whatever. You can instruct the PRO to make the checks payable to you as an individual Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to go through the official legal DBA situation. Mm -hmm. Um, And that can work and still work for a lot of people. But then as one gets more successful, it's worth consulting with the lawyer or the accountant, even also from a liability perspective. Because if your music gets out there, it really is worth it. Set up that corporation, that LLC, because God forbid if you ever get sued, your liability on a personal level protected so no one can take your home, your and, car, or whatever. And there, and there are tax benefits, of course. Yeah, you know, it's, it's easy. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. A lot of people think that they can write off the expenses of making music, and the answer, although I'm not an accountant, can't tell you this with great certainty or any authority, but my understanding is that you've got to, your income has to exceed your expenses before you can start doing that. Mm-hmm. If you're making 100 bucks a year and you're writing off 1000 the IRS is only going to put up with that for about 10 minutes. Is my exactly. You'll, you'll get away with it for uh, for one or two, three uh, years. I know there's a point where when there's too many consecutive losses of, yeah. of your company, they're going to start going, well, are you really a company or a hobby? Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So... All right, uh, question. I saw something from Vicky go by before. Yeah, we're having a bunch of interplay on DBAs and, and all of this sort of stuff. Uh, where did Vicky go? Okay, Vicky, uh, can you read that, Michael? Because I'm on a weird uh, Yeah, sure. I have music placed in some investigative discovery TV shows that have now been placed on YouTube by the channel. <laughs> Do I get paid royalties for the plays of those shows on YouTube? Ooh, good question. Oh, God. <laughs> really good question. You got yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> YouTube is a whole crazy. YouTube is the wild, wild west. Um, in in theory, you should get paid, but I mean the reality is you're probably not going to be. 
Um, because first of all, discovery, I wonder if discovery, I mean, you said investigative discovery, but you know, the problem with YouTube is you've got the channels where say a discovery has branded their own channel, they have it up, but they also then usually have what's called an MCN themselves. It stands for multi-channel network, okay. where they're in control of that channel and what mm -hmm. goes up. And under YouTube rules, an MCN is responsible for clearing its own music. Wow. Um, but then you have, like, in to use for Vicky's example, if this, if your show, Vicky, has been uploaded by a, a viewer where they've ripped it off the television right. or somewhere else and it's been uploaded as this what's called user-generated content, UGC, that then can be claimed, you know, we all go to YouTube videos and sometimes some have ads, some don't. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of that user-generated content, when there's ads, there's money being, you know, earned. And in her case, I would say Discovery being the owner of that video, if a user has uploaded it and didn't get permission, Discovery is the one that has to have that conversation uh, with the user or whether they're even going to take it down. I mean, I my bet in that scenario is Discovery would nix them, put in what's called the takedown request to YouTube because they're going to want everyone to come over to their MCN if it was... If, yeah. if someone was pulling up a show that's available elsewhere, no, we're slamming you down. We want big people to come to our official outlet and channel. Well, what's, um, what kind of license is Vicky talking about? A work for hire situation where she makes... I don't know the answer yeah, to that. that. Um, but if it was... I mean, if it's a work for hire, then, no, then Discovery yeah, right. controls it right. themselves. But um, wouldn't Vicky get performance royalties if it's broadcast over... Uh, uh, well, but you, where you're talking about... But, but where... YouTube has licenses with the PROs, mm -hmm. okay, for sure. But what I don't believe is happening, and I'm not, I'm not a complete expert, is that I don't think necessarily that ASCAP and BMI are processing cue sheets that have been viewed, because her show is going to have probably like 50 to 100 pieces of music in it. Mm, you know, it's a different thing, say, with I, I represent I've Had the Time of My Life from Dirty Dancing. Someone uploads a video where they've used that song, I'm going to get triggered for it, or I manually go in sometimes late at night and do searching on it. I can go in and claim that video because it has my song, and I'm going to participate in the ad revenue on it because it's just me. I'm Who the, the hell only claim. Know all this stuff. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 the I, whole I world has gotten so it's difficult. More complicated too. It really is. Evolves. Speaking of uh, time in my life, I was on the phone with Michael Lloyd uh, Sunday evening from home, who produced that song. Yes, for, he did. The album, and he was telling me a great insider story. Uh, originally, the vocal, I can't remember the vocalist's name, but it was all done in an upper register. And it didn't work as well as when they brought Bill Medley in. Um, and Jennifer Warrens were yeah, the two that did the duet. Yeah. Because you had the contrast of the two, gave it a different character. And the director, I think he says the director or the producer of the movie absolutely hated it, but they had to go with it for some political reason or something. Well, and, I think, too, it was also a literally, from where I've heard the story from the writer's side is that it was literally like a time issue. Like I think they were literally called like a couple of days before the scene and you know Frankie Previtt, one of the three writers, got the call that basically was like, hey, you know, we're shooting this big scene in this indie <laughs> movie and 
you know, we don't have a song yet. Would you like to write something? Uh, let me think. And about it, you know, that. so I think they literally knew. Like, I, I, Michael was more involved in the day to day at that time. I, I yeah. wasn't obviously. He would know. But from the, from where I've heard, it's been more of like, hey, they had to shoot the scene. Like the, everything was booked. They got actors. They got this. They have a budget. They got cameras. We got to shoot. We got to find a song. I want you guys to know at the road rally this year. Here's a little insider stuff for just the people who watch Taxi TV. Is I've asked Michael Lloyd to introduce me. He's my warm-up guy, if you will, uh, <laughs> at the beginning of the rally because he's been involved in it for so long and he's so great to our members. That guy will drive around with taxi member music in his SUV, listen to songs, and call people up no matter where they live and tell them why or, or why their songs oh, worked wow. or didn't. Oh, wow. Good for him. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, I don't know how he has the time to do that, but he does most of it in the car. Uh, anyway, he's been such a big fan of Taxi and so good to our members that I'm having him introduce me, but it's his birthday on November wow. 3rd. So <laughs> might we be presenting him with a birthday cake at the beginning of the road? Oh, nice. Good possibility. And you can sing happy birthday without worry of a That's license. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I was going to get into something. <laughs> I want to take another question, too. I, yeah, I was We're say. running long, but this is such a great episode that I want to keep going. Okay, another question from Kenda Potter. Uh, do you guys make more from the paperback, oh, paperback version or the Kindle version? I'll buy the one that supports the authors better. Oh, that's, oh, nice. that's very nice. That's very awesome. Um, <laughs> you know, I should know the contract that we signed, but I think I'd hazard to say we probably make more off the paperback version you than do. the Kindle. Yeah, I can absolutely. Yeah, tell but you but that. also, okay. <laughs> but on that note, uh, I would also like to tell you guys that uh, you know, um, I mean, like the record industry, it is, you know, it, it's so small, and we oh, essentially see. wrote this book. You know, for you guys, to, you know, to, to obviously share information with you that's going to help and make your lives better. But definitely, of course, we appreciate you guys getting a copy because we, you know, that it makes it worthwhile writing it. So, um, there it is. It, uh, you know what? It's all about you guys. So I'm, I'm going to give one yeah. away for free on the show. And then what I'm going to do tomorrow is, or I'm going to ask people tonight to tweet. Tomorrow, once we get the show up on YouTube, because Kimberly's out today, so the show won't hit YouTube till tomorrow. When it does, whoever's tweet shows up first, the first two people whose tweets pointing to the show after it's up will each get a copy of the book. What do we have? Three, three we're giving away? Yeah, we're going to give one away here awesome. and then two tomorrow to the oh, first, first tweeters. And we're going to sign them, too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Wait, what's the name of the book, says Tony Anderson? That would be... Five Star Music Makeover. Can it be of any bolder? Okay, there we go. <laughs> and you guys know I never endorse anything. Oh, Tony said you didn't see that. How can you not see that? I, really? Tony. <laughs> All right. There you go. Hope that helps. <laughs> um, Thanks, Tony. <laughs> honestly, I really didn't think that a book with five authors would be this good. I really didn't. And then I started going through it. And, I mean... Look at the number of post-it notes. And at some point, I just said, okay, I've got way more than I can cover on the show. The book is that good. I mean, you can tell. Listen to these guys. Come on. These guys are geniuses. All right. And if, uh, I, if I might add real quick while he's looking for another question, I just want to mention something about the other authors real quick. Um, absolutely. You know, Annika actually uh, wrote a great section about 
um, you know, writing music. Korean wrote some great stuff about actually performing the music because that's very, very important. Eric wrote a lot about how to record the music. Of course, you wrote about licensing the music, and I've talked about promoting the music. So it's like five key skills that all musicians need to succeed, and that's kind of... And the other four guys other than me, these four other, the other four authors all teach at Musicians Institute. So... Um, I, I'm the oddball. I come in and guest speak, I guess. Um, yeah. but no, You're it's, a good oddball. It, it, yeah. it, thank you. <laughs> but it's honestly, it's a great, it's been a fun ride. I mean, obviously, when the kind person's asking about, you know, royalties, which one we get, yeah. we're, of course, splitting everything five ways. So, honestly, we're not in this for the money. Yeah. You know, we, I think we all, you know, these guys have all been educators. Bobby, obviously, has been an author for years with lots of great books. Um we just all felt that you know this was in the in the music business of today. There's another one. Uh, yes, there you go. Right there. Um, in the music business of today, you know, as the independent DIY, you need all these skills and need to be aware of them. And there's no, as you said, there's no place where you've never seen a book with five authors. So it was yeah. kind of like. This cool idea that I was honored to be brought and, and, into. And we have Maseratis anyway, so we don't need them. <laughs> yeah, right. That's what we do right after the show. We go out and compare the color of our Maseratis. Yeah, right. Oh, I went with the black one. Yeah. Uh, uh, where can you buy the book and how much? Uh, I think Amazon. We, Amazon we pretty mm-hmm. much do, right? Yeah. Uh, Available on Amazon in either digital download or, you know. Yeah, the Kindle version or the regular version. Honestly, it's been out for since March or April, I think. And I would don't forget, come to the Road Rally because it will also be available there yeah. as, as well. And I will be doing some classes there, and um, and you'll probably be there as well, right, Michael? I haven't invited him yeah. yet, but you bet your ass as soon as the show's <laughs> out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Michael and I played a little phone tag like six months ago. We haven't caught up. It's been it's years. True. It's true. Uh, it's been a very uh, long time because yeah. it's busy in the world of independence. It I don't really want to put you on the spot, but I actually pitched a class with all of us in case you wanted to do it. Uh, <laughs> I remember Angel said to me, Bobby Borg wants a third class. And we, we're already over our limit. So if you uh, want to lose you. one of your other uh, classes. Right, right. Um, I've got to talk to you about that. Yeah. Um, any uh, other questions? I mean, we literally don't have any more Yeah, space. no, I bet, yeah. And we tried to cut back again this year, gotcha. and we were unsuccessful as always. If there um, were other questions, it's farther up in the feed. I have no idea. So, all right. uh, I don't even know that, how you'd even find out where questions are. What's that one say? Uh, oh, that's not even a question. That oh, okay. was addressing someone's question about or comment about YouTube. All right, other questions will roll in here in a second. There's like a 20-second delay from the time. We say there are no there are Oh, no really? Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, All right, well. Yeah, market is, marketing book is really good, too. Thank you. <laughs> CM Songs, does the book have basics for newbies? I mean, the answer is basically yeah. yes. yes that's, the whole, that's the whole idea. Yes. Uh Let's see. All right. Well, I guess there's no more questions. We're getting kind thank yous, which is much appreciated. All right. So with that, I want everybody who would like to win a copy of Five Star Music uh, Musician Makeover. Sorry, Five Star Star Music Makeover. Um, Everybody who'd like to win one, type in a plus one, and I'm going to tap on the screen with my pen as they go flying by, and these guys are going to tell me which person I hit with the tip of my pen. Uh (laughs) And then that person is going to email matt at taxi.com, and we will send the book out. Plus ones. So they have to start hitting plus one. We have to wait 20 seconds because you said there's about a 20 second. It'll start showing. All right. 
We've got plus ones. We're waiting. Here we go. Maybe. Oh, hey, there we go. Yeah, watch. We're starting We're to get start some flying. Everybody right. knows not to be the first. <laughs> How are you going to know? All right. Yeah, come on. There we go. Okay. Okay. Uh, what is that? M3 Lucian. Okay. M3 Lucian. M is in Michael 3 Lucian? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. You, sir. Damn, uh, that, now there's a huge long line of plus ones. Sorry, yeah. you can stop doing plus ones, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm not sure if you're a man or a woman, but would you kindly email matt at taxi.com and say, I won the copy of the book on yesterday's Taxi TV, and he will get your information, and we will send a copy of the book out to you. And remember, tomorrow, once you check our YouTube channel, the Taxi YouTube channel, once Kimberly has a chance to get the There's show up on YouTube, I'll tell you. <laughs> um, once the show is up on YouTube, the first person that tweets to the show on YouTube, the first two people that tweet, will get the other two copies of the book that we've got to give away. And with that, I would like to thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, man. thank you. Thank All you the, for I, having I, us, man. I, I feel like we could have done like three hours. We could have, You yeah. guys were amazing. Um, yeah, just wonderful. And, uh, Michael, you're coming to the road rally. The, the I, is, <laughs> I might be in New York that week, but if I'm not, I will happily be at the road, no, road you're not rally. No, in New York. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's November 3rd through the 6th. Um, and i got to tell you, I, I wrapped up the schedule this weekend for the stuff that's going on in the ballroom, and I can tell you that I am incredibly proud, really, really proud of what's going to happen on the stage this year at the road rally. It's going to be the most informative road rally. And guess, Bobby, you are on a panel Sunday afternoon. Oh, awesome. Oh, of course God. you are. I love doing panels. Um, he's always amazing on the panel. So uh, I have – did I come up? And it's in my briefcase on the other side of the room. But um, it's a DIY panel on Sunday afternoon, I believe, at like 3 o'clock-ish. And you're on it. Awesome. Um, so with that – Thank you, guys. Uh, we will see you next week. I can't remember. I've already got something slotted for next week, and I can't remember what the hell it is, but we'll be back. So we'll see you on the very next episode of Taxi TV Live. Thanks a lot, you guys. Thank you, Michael. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank, Thank you, Michael. You. Definitely. All right. Mm -hmm.